Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing on this snowy Sunday morning? Doing all right? Hey, let me look in the camera. Welcome everyone on the other side, those that are watching on their phones, tablets, or just in the comfort of your own home. I want to say welcome. Hey, can we give a warm welcome to those on the other side of the camera? They're part of us this morning. Welcome those. Yeah. Well, my name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Radiant Life, and we are just in a beautiful journey together, together through a series titled Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but when you go shopping for a car, like you've got that make and model that you want, do you not see it like everywhere on the road now? Right? It's a, I feel like that's this series too. That we're in a Holy Spirit series, and now we look at songs and things, and you're like, man, the presence of God in this whole, whole, this whole Holy Spirit thing, I, like, I, I see it everywhere, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, we all, maybe in a room this size, full of this many people, we all have probably different backgrounds that we grew up in, and that we probably carry into when we hear this word, Holy Spirit. So this morning, I'm just curious, how many of you, a uh, little participation, how many of you come, you're like, I got a little Baptist background in me. Anyone? Got a couple Baptists? I know it was hard for you Baptists to raise your hand, but you did it. There we go. <laughs> We're in this together. I love you. We're all brothers and sisters. How many with the Methodist background? Any Methodist background? A lot of you guys in the Methodist background. Good for you. Uh, Presbyterian. Any Presbyterian couple here? How many Episcopalians here? Any? There you go. Um, how many Catholic? Any Catholic backgrounds? There you go. Hey, um, where's my charismatic and Pentecostal? Throw both hands up. There you go. Ha <laughs> ha. Love it. Hey, um, I got a couple jokes to start out today. And uh, what? Lutherans. How many Lutherans in the house? All right. There you go. Yep. Follow Martin Luther, but not Jesus. Anyway, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kidding. Our own denomination is Wesleyan. We follow John Wesley. All right, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Relax. We're going to have fun this morning. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Change? Who said anything about change? We're in this together. I have to read jokes. I have nothing funny the whole service outside of this. So you got to laugh, all right? How many Nazarenes does it take to change a light bulb? Two, one to change the bulb and the other one to replace the new one with the old one after shaking it and finding it can be revived with the second blessing. <laughs> How many charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? One, since their hands are in the air already. <laughs> Remember, we're in this together, all right? How many atheists, because atheism is a religion. Your belief is there is no God. You believe in something. Make sense now? No. Okay. Just think about that. How many atheists does it take to change the light bulb? One, but they're still in darkness. You ooh, that one was one of the best ones on this list, though. We ooh, because that one's truth. That's why. How many Presbyterians does it take to change the light bulb? Well, it's going to take about five committees to review the idea in the first place. Death by committee. All right, a little theology, a little theology. Just a couple more, hang in there. How many Calvinists? <laughs> you got no theology to get this one, but I'm going to say it anyways because I know I got Calvin brothers in here. How many Calvinists does it take to change a light bulb? None. God is already predestined when the lights will be on. <laughs> Yeah. 
Only two more. How many, how many evangelists does it take to change the light bulb? Evangelists don't change light bulbs. They go to doors and simply read out the instructions and hope that the light bulb will decide to change itself. That is really funny. You need to you let that one ponder for a moment, right? Let it ponder. All right, last one. How many Pentecostals does it take to change the light bulb? Ten. One to change the ball and the other nine to pray against the spirit of darkness. All right. There it is. Hey, we're in this together. Why do I make fun of denominations in ourselves? It's because we all carry something in regards to Holy Spirit. Maybe our upbringing has shaped the way we hear this third person in the Trinity. But our foundational verse that I kicked off like kind of last week with is Acts chapter 19 verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road to the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples, some followers of Jesus and asked them this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And I think what has happened in the church throughout centuries is we've rejected the packaging of Holy Spirit. I don't think believers want to reject the third person in the Trinity. I think we've just rejected the packaging We've seen a lot of things with Holy Spirit that scare us, and I believe this series is calling us back to the clarity of who the Holy Spirit is in a safe place for us. Last week, I kind of landed the plane with this uh, core idea that God the Father loves us. You got to wrestle with this. Knowing what you did last night, God still loves you. What you did two years ago, God still loves you. What you're going to do this afternoon, God still loves you. And he doesn't want you to do it, though. And God the Son saves us. Jesus Christ went to the cross and paid a heavy price for you and for me, for the forgiveness of sin, so we can enter into relationship with the Father. But he doesn't leave us there. It's God the Holy Spirit is in us. That is who is inside of us. These two are in heaven. He is here, inside of you, dwelling. You are the temple you are his holding place, the Holy Spirit inside of you. And I really believe that. I think my prayer is that we become a spirit-filled church. And we don't have to be weird. Can I just say that? I always feel like anytime you, again, I said this last week, anytime you bring in Holy Spirit, you have to be like, whoa, you guys are going to get weird. No. Here's my prayer. I'm going to read it. That we have a deep hunger for Holy Spirit. Do you hunger I know it's almost lunchtime, but spiritually, do you hunger for the Holy Spirit in your life? That God, we would be filled immensely. That we would live in the power of the overflowing presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives. That God, my prayer is that we would experience a fresh outpouring of Holy Spirit in this church on you. Do you know that um, we're going to get to where we're supposed to get off and take, uh, get on the airplane in a moment. But we look back, you realize a lot of people think Holy Spirit doesn't come to the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, which where we'll be today. But the Holy Spirit, I showed you last week and Pastor Chris showed you in week one, that the idea that the Holy Spirit was there from the beginning, from all creation, that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters, right? Um, Jesus experienced the Holy Spirit himself. Jesus received the Holy Spirit at baptism. Now, I know that may shock some of you because you're like, wait, Jesus is God, so shouldn't he already have the Holy Spirit, but yet he is human? Yes, check this out real quick. In John, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 3. This is when Jesus experiences 
the Holy Spirit. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Hear me. If you're a follower of Jesus, you ought to be baptized. January 24th, we're doing baptisms. You ought to get signed up. You'll hear about sign-ups coming soon, but I'm just, I think I needed to throw that in there. That's for someone here this morning. And when he was praying, heaven opened up, and the hoops, can we say these two words together? The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and the voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. All four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, write about the baptism and experience of Jesus and the Holy Spirit right there. Here's well, how, you, you, did you catch how the Holy Spirit came descending like a what? Do you remember that? A dove, right? So what are doves? Look up some information on doves. Doves are gentle. Doves are loving. Doves have a very soothing sound to them. You could go to sleep hearing the soothing of a dove. You could not go to sleep hearing the gnawing of a crow, right? They're timid, though. They're easily driven away. They come to rest when they feel safe and at peace. They choose to mate for life, and they're one of the most beautiful birds in all of its purity, is a dove. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on Jesus like a doves. And guess what? This is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. He had not started his ministry, three years of ministry, until this event right here. He needed to have the power and presence of Holy Spirit in his life. If you don't believe me, Luke writes it in the book of Acts. He says this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Now, Jesus, when you get it at your baptism, you're going to have three years of incredible ministry, living into the, my power, the presence of God in your life, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Why? Why was Jesus able to do that? Because God was with him. He had the power and presence of Holy Spirit. And I think the dove descending on Jesus was just the beginning. Now he had to go, and I feel like, I want the dove to fall, but I'm ready to go, church. I'm ready for you to live in the power and presence of Holy Spirit and not in weird ways that we would release the doves and let's go. This community needs Jesus. Your neighborhood needs Jesus. Your workplace needs Jesus. And if we're ever gonna do it, we gotta live into the power of Holy Spirit in our lives and not in a weird way. Did you know the Holy Spirit came on the disciples as well? Did you know it didn't happen until after the death of Jesus? Like, here the, Holy, here the 12 disciples are hanging out with Jesus for three years, watching him do all these awesome teachings, awesome miracles, right? Like, he's making spit mud right there and putting it on people's eyes, and you're sitting here as a disciple like, I am glad I'm not blind because I don't want that spit mud in my eyes. He's doing all crazy things. And here we get, Jesus dies, Three days later, he's resurrected, and for 40 days, he hangs out with people. And in those 40 days, he meets with now his 11 disciples, because Judas has hung himself. And he meets with them, and watch this beautiful thing. This one's recorded in John. This is after Jesus has died and resurrected, and he's appearing for 40 days. He says this, peace to you, referring to the disciples. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. 
Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Received the Holy Spirit. And there it is. And what's awesome is, you remember that we, we, if you were here last week, we talked about two, a, a Hebrew word and a Greek word. Remember the Hebrew word? Rock, right? Heck that loogie when you do it, right? Rock. And then the Greek word for spirit was pneuma, a little softer, right? And it's talking about the breath. And notice what Jesus did when he gives the disciples the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them and says, receive the spirit. Now they have it. Now they have it. But they're not filled yet. Acts chapter 1 reads this way. Jesus is still talking to them. On one occasion, while he, Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command. Not a suggestion. Not a, you know, you ought to. This is just an option. A physical command. I'm going to give you a command. He's already breathed on them the Spirit. He has it. If you follow Jesus this morning upon salvation, you have Holy Spirit living inside of you. It's like this moment for the disciples. They have the Holy Spirit. And check this out. Here's the command. Do not leave Jerusalem, the city you're in, but, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. There is going to be a clothing of the Holy Spirit, a complete infilling of who Holy Spirit is in the disciples' lives. But it's a gift. And then he continues, Jesus says this, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of us get freaked out. We're like, oh no, Ryan's talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit and people are going to start getting slain in the Spirit or something. No. This term here literally means, the word baptism literally means to immerse. It's to supply in excess of. It is literally, it's like they had the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, like it was here and Holy Spirit just covered them now. And it's like they were clothed in the Holy Spirit with power. And then all of a sudden, a scary thing happens. This is where we're going to focus on most of our time. The scary thing is we read Acts chapter 2, a word called Pentecost. This is where it gets a lot of followers of Jesus up in a tight wad about Holy Spirit, is this word Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, Jesus will eventually go back to the Father, and now the disciples are waiting. They're waiting, waiting, and waiting, and it happens in Acts chapter 2. Verse 1 reads this way. When the day of, can we read it together? The day of Pentecost came. Good, you said a scary word, I know, Pentecost. So why, you know why we think it's scary? Because we try to explain the events that are going to happen in the rest of the verses that will journey together. But also, we, 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 we've given a certain group of people the word Pentecostal. And we kind of say they're crazy, if you will. Listen, we're going to explain gifts next week. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. I can't. I still got three more of this stuff. I can't. I'm journeying together with you guys. I hope you're journeying. I hope you're taking notes. And it is hotter than blazons up here right now, just hinting to someone to turn on the air. All right. So what is Pentecost? The Jewish people had three major holidays, two of them. One was Passover, and we'll get to, and the other one was Pentecost. So what is Luke writing to us? Luke is telling us, listen, we're celebrating this holiday right now. 
That's what it is. The problem is we get, because we in American eyes, we don't see, we don't realize this is a holiday for them. This is why there's so many people in Jerusalem. Because if you were a male Jew, particularly male, if you were within 20 miles of Jerusalem, you were required to get to Jerusalem to celebrate the holidays. They had three major holidays. It would be like our three major holidays would be uh, Easter, and then 4th of July is pretty big in America, and I'm going to take the Thanksgiving and Christmas season and kind of combine them too because it's one giant season, okay? It's like those three, but you and I, we have all different little holidays amongst those three major ones. The Jews did too. They had a total of seven holidays or feasts that they celebrated, but three were the major ones. And right before Pentecost, why are there a bunch of people there? Because they're celebrating Passover. Passover. Some of you probably watched this movie. It's on every Easter, the Ten Commandments, right? What is Passover? Because the Ten Commandments explain Passover. In order to understand Pentecost, let's get, understand Passover. So nerd out with me for a moment. Get some Bible knowledge. Here we go. What is Passover? Passover is a celebration of the Hebrews. The Jewish nation, they weren't Israelites yet. They were considered the Hebrews. When they came out of Egypt for 400 years, these people were enslaved under Pharaoh, building bricks for 400 years. And why did the Israelites, or I'm sorry, the Hebrew nation get there in the first place? Because there was a famine in the land and they went to Egypt because they got money and they got food. That's how they all ended up there. And then they're multiplying like rabbits. And Pharaoh says, what are we gonna do with these people? Slave labor it is, they're not Egyptians anyways puts them in slavery for 400 years. And then God's finally saying, enough's enough, I'm rescuing, and I'm going to use a guy by the name of Moses. And all of a sudden, in order to, because Pharaoh here just won't relent, he just won't give in, won't let God's people go, Moses comes and says, hey, God's going to send some plagues if you don't let my people go. Ten plagues come. On the 10th plague, it's the firstborn male will die. But in order, God doesn't want to kill his own people, the Hebrews. You kill a lamb, sacrifice it, put the blood on the door frames of your home. So at night, the spirit or the angel of death will go over and pass over your home if he sees the blood. Does that make sense? That's how you get the word Passover. The spirit angel of death is passing over that door because they are safe and protected. Right? What happens? Pharaoh's firstborn son will die because of the plague. And finally, Pharaoh says, you go, Moses. Get out of here. And so Moses leads his people out of Egypt. Of course, if you know the rest of the story, yes, Pharaoh says, mm, we still got a lot of work to do. I'm missing all these people. Go get them, right? And the Red Sea and everything. But that's the holiday that they celebrated was Passover, celebrating when God rescued them out of slavery. Fifty days after that celebration, this is where Pentecost comes. It is 50 days after, after the celebration of Passover. Here's what Pentecost means. Penta, 50, costs to the 10th power. It literally means 50. It's not scary, is it? It's a Jewish holiday. That means 50. Why does it mean 50? 50 days after Passover. Go back and jump into the movie, if you will. 
right? There's a scene where this is Mount Sinai. Moses goes to the top and there's this fire, there's earthquake, there's smoke, there's a loud noise. The presence of God is on this mountain and there's things that's going to happen. And remember, this is 50 days after Passover, after they've been redeemed and rescued out of Israel. Things are going to happen on this mountain. Number one, I told you this, a cloud descended with a loud noise and fire. Okay? There's chaos. People on the ground sitting are going, that's a scary mountain right there, right? The presence of God. Moses, glad you're going, Moses, not me. Right? You go. Here's the second thing that happened. Up on that mountain, God wrote his law on the tablets of stone. This is where Moses gets like the Ten Commandments. God in this holiday that they're celebrating, 50 days after being redeemed and rescued out of Israel, God meets them on the mountain in a loud in a cloud with a loud noise and fire, God writes his law on tablets. And what happens is God, Moses comes down, and what are they doing at the base of the mountain? They're worshiping a golden calf. And literally, before the ink even dries on the stone, they've already committed adultery and idolatry. You did it. And Moses gets ticked off and smashes the tablets. And you know, as a result of doing that, 3,000 people died. Now that's Pentecost, back in the Old Testament. And they still, remember, it's 50 days after all that. Here's what's awesome. Take all three of these, and let's put it in the New Testament story in Acts chapter 2 when they're celebrating this feast. They're celebrating this day. There's something in the upper room that's going to happen that's going to resemble this. They're not, they already received the gift of the Word of God. Now they're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people aren't going to die. You read at the end of Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people were saved. Pentecost, what we are going to read in Acts chapter 2 was the redemption of everything that happened here. God's awesome. God's awesome. If you think the Bible's boring, you're boring. I love you. It is awesome. The way God orchestrates. Oh, Passover, I didn't tell, tell you this. Um, normally in Passover, you would sacrifice a lamb. If you and I are just going to celebrate it, you sacrifice a lamb at 9 a.m. Uh, you cook it at 3 p.m. You know when Jesus was nailed to the cross? 9 a.m. When did Jesus take his last breath? 3 p.m. What, what did the lamb do at Passover? You sacrifice to, cover your, or to uh, forgive your sins. Jesus covers our sins. Come on, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, that's, that's free nuggets. This first service didn't even get that. You guys did that, all right? But it's awesome. You see it all get played out. But check this out. Let's go jump in back. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost come, now we know it's their holiday. They're celebrating when Moses got the law, the Ten Commandments on his heart. We're celebrating that. And it came. Um, sorry, I had that slide in there. I don't know why. When they came... They were all together in one place, 120 of them. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent, what friends? We talked about when last week. Starting to look like the crazy Mount Sinai and what's taking place. Watch, this, this blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that departed and came to rest on each of them. It's kind of this weird thing. I don't know what's happening, but what they're seeing is these tongues of fire. That's what, how they're explaining it. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
Now, this is where people and Christians get kind of crazy, and we kind of want to shudder away from this because we don't understand this, right? Like, tongues of fire, that would be a little weird to see, right? It's just like the, the writer's trying to explain, like, this is what they saw. Like, it's like tongues of fire. Where else was fire? Mount Sinai, the loud noise. It's a... It's redeeming all of that. They were filled with the Spirit. Watch this. But they began to speak in other tongues. I think this is where we get confused. Now, I'm going to talk about gifts next week, but I want to talk right here specifically about Pentecost and this. This is not wrong. But look, why isn't it wrong? Because the Spirit enabled it. And things from God aren't wrong. Things from God are good. We just may not always understand them. So here's the word tongues. Here's exactly what it means in this moment. All right? We have the English word tongues, but here's the Greek word. The Greek word is glossa. What English word do you think we get from this? Glossary, right? Here is the meaning of them in that room speaking in other tongues. It means this. The language or dialect used by a particular people distinct from that of other nations. Now let's jump back in. We understand that they're filled with the Spirit, and now they're all of a sudden speaking other native languages of other nations because the Spirit enabled them. That would be like you and I all of a sudden, let's say we're worshiping, and you start speaking in Russian, and you have no idea. You're like, where in the world did that come from? That's what was happening in this room, and you're going to see it played out here. I know it seems... Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why? They're there celebrating Passover and Pentecost. Remember, within 20 miles, you could be from Russia, but you're today within 20 miles of Jerusalem, you would be required to go to this event. You see what the Spirit's beginning to do now? And now they're there, and they're realizing that there are God-fearing Jews from every nation right there, and when they heard this sound... A crowd came, came together in bewilderment because each heard their own language being spoken. They sit there and come and be like, these are Jews. These are Is Israelites. They don't speak Russian. But I'm hearing my native language. They want to see. And here's their response. They're utterly amazed. They know something's up and something's different right now. So they question each other. They decided to ask are all these who are speaking Galileans? They're from the Sea of Galilee, up north in Israel. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Emilites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Ferga and Famila. I don't know what that says. I actually made that up. All right. Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them all declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Something's happening. Every nation's starting to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And we're afraid of Pentecost. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And if you look at verse 13, people there were like, oh, they're drunk on wine. <laughs> right? That's literally what the next verse says. 
And then Peter's got to be like, guys, it's only 9 in the morning. We at least wait till 3 p.m. to do that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I want to show you a picture. These are the nations of Pentecost that you and I just read in that list in Acts chapter 2. In Jerusalem, the tongue of fire, there it is. When Holy Spirit came, it was the infilling, the immersion, the baptism of the Holy Spirit came. But look where all these nations are represented from the north to the south to the west to the east. All these nations all heard their native language now. And they began to hear the signs and wonders and the good news of Jesus Christ. Why would this ever happen? Because the Jews were here. And they had the good news of Jesus Christ. But now look, the whole world's beginning to know who Jesus Christ is because of that event. And we have to lean in as followers of Jesus and not be scared of Pentecost because this moment fed a movement. That's what launched the church. And now the church went forward with audacity and boldness, declaring the good works of Jesus Christ. We don't have to be afraid because that event fed our movement and our faith today. Hear me. We don't have to have wild church services or people falling over. We don't have to have people swinging from chandeliers. That's weird. But listen, the enemy has put in a package to scare off people from something you and I have to have to be successful in this life, and that is the Holy Spirit. Let's not believe the lie and packaging that the devil wants us to believe. Some of us need the power of Holy Spirit in our lives, but why we are putting an arm length away from Holy Spirit because we saw it packaged wrong. Oh, church and friends, it's beautiful. I don't think I've been weird to you, have I? I was really hoping for a better response in first service, but you had the same exact response. Okay, let me rephrase it. Outside of my personality, I haven't been weird, have I? I ask every morning, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me. I want it for you guys. Not to get weird, no, I promise you, at the moment it gets weird, I'm stopping it in the name of Jesus. Because listen, God is a God of order, and we'll get into gifts next week, and Paul is very specific of when certain gifts should be used and not to be used. And we will get into that. There's a warning with, the, with, with two gifts in particular. Paul warns them very, very sternly to the church in Corinth because they were abusing it, and that's what we see today. But I want it all. I want, I want the movement again. I, we need to be a spirit-filled church. You need to be spirit-filled again. The Spirit was, the Holy Spirit was a dominant reality in the life of the early church. I want to ask you a question this morning. Is Holy Spirit a dominant reality in your life today? If we really assess ourselves, we're like, no, Ryan, I've got two-thirds of the Trinity. I'm, I know God loves me. I'm good with God. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but I put an arm against the Holy Spirit. I put an arm. You and I, we need the empowering of Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you know if you read the rest of Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4, there's a certain guy by the name of Paul. I'm sorry, Peter. Peter was the leader of the 12 disciples. He was the oldest. We know he was married because why? Jesus stayed at Peter's mother-in-law's home in Capernaum. And uh, that's a whole nother story. He actually wanted his mother-in-law saved. 
after she was sick. Good for him. Um, I'm kidding, relax. Unless they had a special relationship. You guys, come on, you need more caffeine. It's snowing, it's beautiful outside. But this Peter who had the leader of the 12, he goes and he follows Jesus after he's been arrested, follows at a distance, the writers say. And as he's following at a distance, he's denied Jesus three times. I never knew him. I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. I am not one of his. And one writer says, Jesus turned and made eye contact with him. And I wonder the pain that Peter saw, realizing I denied my Savior. And it said, Peter left the courtyard, got outside the city, and he wept bitterly. This Peter, who Jesus would die and come back to life and specifically look at Peter and ask him three times, do you love me? I think he's reinstating Peter because Peter denied him three times and Jesus is going to ask, do you love me three times? Reinstates Peter. Peter was there in that upper room in Acts chapter 2 or in that room wherever they were in Jerusalem. He was infilled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4, read it. He all of a sudden becomes one of the boldest preachers ever. He sits in front of everyone who actually crucified Jesus and said, it's you guys! You denied the Son of God. That's on you. And then they arrest him. He goes, okay, I'm arrested. And he gets arrested and they release him the next day because, you know, they, he, they, he healed someone. And they're like, well, we can't really persecute you or put you to death because you have evidence. Like, we can't. There'd probably be an uproar anyways if we did. Hey, then don't talk about Jesus anymore. And he goes out. He's like, I can't not talk about him. I've experienced him. I've encountered him. I've had the empowering of the Holy Spirit on my life. And then you know what he goes? He goes and gives the most amazing speech ever. And 2,000 more people surrender their lives to Jesus. Now the church in Jerusalem is up to 5,000 men. That's probably 15,000 if you include the women and the children. If you're against church growth, you got to wrestle with the book of Acts. It's there. But it all started here. The message of Jesus began to spread from here. Peter stands up, and the people that are hearing, oh, I hear my native tongues. They, look, they could be all the way from Elam, but they made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the holiday, and sitting there going, oh my goodness, we live 800 miles away, and I hear my native language. How is it possible? And they begin to ask, what's going on? What's going on? We want what you guys have. We see something special. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it reads this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. It hit them here. And, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? We want what you have. And Peter replied to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And watch this. And when you do that, you will receive the gift of Holy Spirit. 
Receive it. And it's yours. Upon your salvation, when you get saved, you have the gift. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And then Paul says this, or Peter, I'm sorry. He says, the promise is for you that the gift of the Holy Spirit is yours and your children. And for all who are far off, and that was probably you one day and me. And for all whom the Lord our God will call. This event did not happen 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem and say, oh, that's it. Peter's words is, this promise is for you too. It's for you and your neighbor and your family that you're going to celebrate around the Thanksgiving table. It's for you. Hear this. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can. You may have received it upon your salvation, but I feel like he's there in a box sitting there going, just open me. It's a gift. It's a gift. Would you open me? Because I have so much more goodness for you. So much more. You need that guidance in your life. You need that strength in your life. You keep on trying in life on your own power. You need my power. You need my joy back inside of you. You need purpose. You need mission. You need it. And remember these words as I land the plane. Remember these words. Jesus is in the Last Supper. This is his last time hanging out with the 12 disciples. Last meal he'll ever spend with them before his death. And he says, it's for your good I'm going away. And I often sit there and go, I wonder if the disciples are like, Jesus, are you kidding me? Like we saw you do miracle after miracle, amazing things. You're an awesome teacher and communicator. We've seen all of that. We want you to hang out with us. Hey, we're, we're too young to die. We, we, want, we got more years behind us. Come and hang out with us. But Jesus says, no, it's for your good that I'm going away. And here's why. Unless I go away, the advocate, another word for the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Wrestle with this. Here it is. Holy Spirit inside you is more valuable than Jesus beside you. And we have to live into that. We have to understand that with God there is order and chaos, but with the supernatural there are things that we can't describe and get up here. But we have to sit there and go, God, every gift is perfect and good from you, and I'm going to trust in you. And I'm going to lean into more that the Holy Spirit inside of me is more valuable than Jesus beside me. We're going to sing this song together called I Surrender. And if I think we're going to live into this, I want you for the next week and over Thanksgiving and Black Friday and all that good stuff and you putting up your Christmas decorations to really wrestle with this. Is Holy Spirit a dominant reality in my life? Or do I try to put an arm's distance away from him? If we're going to live into this, it's the word surrender or you can say yield. And we're going to sing a song together as we close titled, I Surrender. It says, I surrender, some of the lyrics, I surrender. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. This is like a rushing wind. Have you seen that the last several weeks? Like a rushing wind. Jesus, breathe within. 
Jesus breathed onto the disciples the Holy Spirit. Lord, have your way, have your way in me. Like a mighty storm, stir within my soul. Lord, have your way, Lord, have your way in me. So friends, will you please stand this morning as we close and let us wrestle with that. Let this be a prayer that we are surrendering and yielding. God, whatever you have, we want it because it's good. So let us prayerfully surrender into the song.